we're get, getting back into our series here, and today is going to start drawing some conclusions of why relationships are so important. Um, I, I think I ask this each week, but um, has anybody here had any relationship problems this past week or two? Anybody experiencing anything? It, it seems like the more that you know, the more it gets challenged, right? Man! Relationships are hard, but God has something good in store for them. We're going to get to that today. All right, so healthy relationships. It's something that God desires us to possess. First of all, with him, and second of all, with others. Um, And there's a purpose behind all of this. So far, we've been going through this series, and we've been gaining different tools, different tips on how to maintain healthy relationships. Um, because, man, we're living in a world where it seems like the, uh, which I, I can't remember the scripture. It's, it's something chapter three. I think it's Titus or Timothy, uh, anyways. But it reminds us that in the end days, the love of many will grow cold. And we're seeing that happen. In fact, we're seeing love get redefined to be something that is radically different from the love that God created. We're living in a in a culture where relationships are not intended to last. You know, we have relationships with people to get what we need out of them, and when they get boring or when they get troublesome, you just kick them aside, right? You know, just like you do your cell phone, like, eh, it's a little old now, I'm getting tired of this. I want the new one. And we do that with all of our relationships, friends, even family. You know, you can kick your mom or dad to the curb. You don't need them in your life, right? I mean, it's just, it's just such a crazy culture that we're living in. So different from the culture that God wants us to have. So different from the kingdom culture um, that that says that the grass is greener where you uh, water it, right? You know, that whole cliche. And it's true because you're seeing that the more that our culture is changing in relationships, the more discontent people are in their relationships. The more people are hurting, the more people are getting abused. It's not a good thing. And, and as always, Jesus taught us to judge. He taught us to judge, believe it or not. <laughs> he taught us to judge by the fruits, by the fruits of what are produced. And what we see being produced are not good. So the Lord wants us to have good, healthy, meaningful relationships that fulfill us in life. Um, so all these tools that we've been gaining are teaching us how to live out this verse. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible... And as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now notice how he had to give two little disclaimers before he said live at peace with everyone. If it's even possible, and as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So this morning we're going to learn about the ultimate goal and why this is so important and such a critical issue in our lives. Now the initial benefit of having healthy relationships is that the quality of our lives are so much better. You have joy, peace. You don't have to walk on eggshells around people. You don't have to watch your back. You don't have to be afraid that your spouse is going to find your phone and, you know, catch that conversation. I mean, you, you know, you just, you live a better quality life. You're more fulfilled in life, more joy, more peace, less chaos and drama. <sighs> I don't know why people like drama. I don't get it, but anyways, some people seem to live for it. However, there's a much more significant goal than our own comfort in life when it comes to our relationships. And that, this, 
is why relationships are so hard and why they're always being challenged. This is a reality that I believe that the Lord wants us to remind us of this morning. That it is through relationships with others that really eternity hangs in the balance. I was saved because somebody formed a relationship with me and told me about Jesus. And that's probably everyone's testimony here. You were saved because someone shared the gospel with you and you were willing to receive it from them. You were willing to receive the good news about Jesus from them. Literally, others' decisions of heaven or hell may be decided based on the ability for them to receive from you and to trust you. If we choose to live with this reality in the forefront of our minds, I think that all those petty things that we get so upset about would really not matter all that much, you know? All, the, all those things that just irk you and drive you crazy about people, they may not matter as much when you realize they're not saved, and I'm one of the few Christians in their lives. Where else are they going to hear the good news, right? Where else are they going to receive it? If we live with this reality in mind, it would be far easier to live out Romans 12, 18 and to go beyond that verse to the next few verses. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, <laughs> my dear friends. That, that would end every soap opera that's out there in existence, right? if they wouldn't take revenge on those who wronged them. Just end, end it right then and there. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but this is kind of cool. But leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. <laughs> but on the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this is interesting mixed, you know, kind of tone of verses that, that we have here, yet all carrying the same theme. We're called to live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on us, as far as it depends on us, and to overcome evil with good, even when it comes to our enemies, even the people who hate and despise you and talk bad about you and drag your name through the mud. We are called to do good to them, to serve them. Feed them when they're hungry, give them drink when they're thirsty, to serve their needs. This prepares the way for others to receive the good news about Jesus through us, through our lives. It, it, it brings them into an encounter with the kingdom of God through us. Because that's not the way the world responds. Right? We're all eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you know? Which is biblical, by the way, but Jesus is like, whoa, 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 there's a better way, you know. Because I'm telling you, it is hard to ignore when you just can't keep a person down. When no matter how evil you act toward them, they just keep doing it to you. It's going to make an impact on their life, right? It's going to either burn them up and tick them off, or they're going to get saved. <laughs> One or the other is going to happen, but you are going to make an impact on the lives of others, when you choose to serve their needs, even your enemies, especially your enemies, as much as it depends on us. Because here's the reality that the Bible shows us to maintain a healthy expectation. Some people are people pleasers. And they don't want to think that anybody doesn't like them. 
They want to be everybody's friend. They are people pleasers to the nth degree. But the reality is, not even Jesus himself, who was God, flesh face to face, not even he was able to forge good and healthy relationships with everyone. And he always did everything right. He never sinned against anybody. But even he was not able to keep healthy relationships with everyone. He always did good to them. But they didn't always return the favor, did they? I mean, we've got this empty cross hanging up here to remind us of that. Many hated him, despised him, gossiped about him. In fact, they were so enraged toward him to the point of screaming for him to be crucified. And Jesus said that no servant is above his master, no student is above his teacher. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. Don't take it personally. It's who you're representing. It's who you're representing. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He forgave even his enemies from the cross. And yet, still many chose to reject him. They rejected him. However, some received him. There's a good, good side of this, right? Some received him. Some chose to lay down their lives and follow him. And those who received him forged a relationship with him that would last far beyond this lifetime far beyond it we live with eternity always in our hearts and minds jesus said this in matthew chapter 10 verse 20 32 to 33 he said whoever acknowledges me before others i will also acknowledge before my father in heaven whoever disowns me before others i will disown before my father in heaven so we've got to really take into serious consideration our words our actions our attitudes are we disowning jesus through them, or letting people know who he is through him, acknowledging that we're not perfect. We screw up all the time, but we are his. We are his workmanship, and he's still doing a good work in us, right? The Bible describes our relationship with God and with his kingdom in many different ways. We are God's children. As Marie, you know, reminds us, we are God's children. It's an awesome thing. We've got a perfect father, don't we? Uh, we are his friends. We are friends of God in the same way that Abraham was. But we are also his servants. We are servants in his kingdom. God freely gives us his grace that is expressed in many different forms. One of the forms of God's grace that he gives are gifts. Spiritual gifts are just a form of God's grace. His purpose is that through our relationships with others, that's why they are so important, his purpose is that through those relationships, we would serve those around us. We would serve the needs of those around us, even those of our enemies. If it's through our relationships with others that God wants us to reach people with his grace and bring them into an encounter with his kingdom, then why is it any surprise that what does the enemy attack so difficult in life? Our relationships right? Our relationships. It should be no wonder to us. The enemy is literally opposing us to our relationships. And we're reminded in Ephesians 6, we're not supposed to, we're supposed to be aware of where the true battle lies. The true battle is not in the flesh and blood, right? That's where you see it expressing itself and manifesting itself. But the true battle is in the spiritual realms. Because the thing is, if the devil can keep us from having healthy relationships, if he keeps our relationships always on the rocks with others, always fighting each other, 
then they're not going to receive us or anything that we have to share with them. They're not going to trust us, right? They're not going to receive the good news. The devil will paint a bad picture of us in the eyes of others and place the blame on God. See, see look what Christians are like. Do you really want to be like that? You know, you don't want anything to do with that Jesus, right? Man, the enemy is really good at weaving those webs and painting those false pictures of who we are, right? Very good at it. The enemy is fighting on the forefront of our relationships. I mean, think about it on every level. Even national wars. Be praying for Israel, by the way, if you haven't heard the news yet. Whew, thousands of rockets all at the same time. The Iron Dome couldn't contain them. I mean, they're literally getting drug off as slaves again. It's like reading the pages of the Old Testament all over again. So pray that they turn to the Lord. <laughs> pray that they turn to the Lord because he's faithful. He's the only one that can, can keep that tiny little country, that group of people, his people, whether they acknowledge him or not, his people, safe and secure. So be praying for them right now. Their enemy is destroying them. But whew, think about that. Even on an, an international level, it's all about relationships, our relationship with other countries. Um, you know, the, the enemy attacks it in, in every single level. Our friendships, our, our employers, co-workers, stu you know, fellow classmates, you name it. Relationships are hard, and there's a reason they're so hard. The enemy doesn't want you to have good relationships with people. Because as soon as you do, they're going to get to know you, and they're going to get to know whose you are. And the enemy doesn't want that to happen at all. He doesn't want them to be brought into an encounter with the kingdom through you. That's why Paul wrote to Titus, encouraged him, that in everything, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. What are we to always do? What is good? Our flesh doesn't want to do that. We want to curse those who curse us. We don't want to bless them, right? Do good to them. In your teaching, show integrity. Don't say one thing and do another. And if you do, confess it and apologize for it. What I did was wrong. What I said was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. And don't excuse it away. Integrity. Seriousness. We love to joke around here at New Hope. We're a fun-loving group of people. But there are some things that are serious in life about the kingdom. In seriousness, in soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they got nothing bad to say about us. That's what Titus wrote and encouraged us to do. Well, he's writing to Titus, encouraging him to do that, but it applies to us as well. Peter also wrote, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone. Always be prepared to answer everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. <sighs> kingdom people don't show this very often right and it gives us a bad name a bad representation gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in christ may be ashamed of their slander also paul wrote make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and all the introverts said amen quiet life yeah Live a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your hands, just as we told you to, so that your daily life might win the respect of outsiders, so that you won't be dependent on anybody. And this is actually a scripture 
that Paul taught in Corinthians that, that wives can win over their unbelieving husbands by this type of quiet respect. It's not easy to respect the disobedient. We, we just watched The Blind not long ago about Phil Robinson's story. You know, not, not an easy guy to respect, and we all have that kind of testimony at one point in our lives. We were not easy people to love at one point. In fact, we may not be a very easy person to love right now. I see Becky's head nodding over there. <laughs> but God wants to do a work in us so that we have healthy relationships for this reason. There's a reason the gospel, you know, the, the New Testament reminds us over and over and over again to our ways in life, to watch our speech, to be careful the way that we live. And it's not about us, it's about their salvation. Their salvation. Peter gave us this end time warning. First Peter, um, it helps if I turn the room. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. So put on your sandwich board, you know, the end is near, the end is near. And it is. It's one day nearer than it was yesterday. I know that much, right? <laughs> the end is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Remember that first message of the whiteboard. Love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You have been freely given God's grace to steward it. And how do we steward the grace of God? We serve others. Serve others. Whatever gift you have, use it to serve others. If anyone speaks, they should do it with one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides them. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's what it's all about. Our lives are all about giving glory and honor and power to him. It's interesting to think about. You can empower God. You can empower God to do the impossible, to do miracles. Take a look from cover to cover of Scripture. I don't have my paper Bible here to, you know, yeah. But anyways, cover to cover to scripture, you know how God worked miracles? Through his people. I'm having a really hard time right now thinking of a single miracle that didn't involve somebody that God did it through. Let me know if you think of one. But anyways, think about that. God wants to work through you. He wants to cooperate through you. You empower God by surrendering your life to him. You empower God by surrendering to him and saying, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. You're actually empowering God. That is so cool to think about. <laughs> yeah, you are preparing the way for him to move. The end of all things is near. So what does Peter t tell us to do? Love and serve others. Jesus himself taught us the same thing about the end times. Matthew chapter 24. He goes all through this chapter telling us things to watch for, signs to look for, knowing that the end is drawing near. But Jesus said, but about that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, not even the Son, only the Father knows the day and the hour when the end comes. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking. They were marrying and they were giving in marriage. Right up until the day that Noah entered the ark, 
They knew nothing about what was going to happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be out in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, the other left behind. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know on what day the Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house knew what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch, and that house would not have gotten broken into. Right? All my redneck Western Pennsylvanians, you know when someone's, they're going to be meeting a, a double barrel, right? You know? It ain't going to happen. Not in my house. Okay? Ain't happening in this house either. We'll talk about that another time, another day. You can infer what you want to, but uh, anyways, in verse 45, so Jesus goes on, just be ready. That, that, that's his warning about the end time. Just be ready. Do what you're supposed to do. Because none of us know, I, I don't know if I have the next minute. I've got a lot of loved ones that passed away recently, and we didn't know it was coming. Didn't know it was going to happen. You know, when I lost my own dad, no idea. Like, that news blew me away. We don't know how long we have. So make the most of every opportunity and every day. Don't live with regrets. Jesus went on, verse 45, he said, Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time? It'd be good for that servant. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing good when he returns. I tell you, he'll put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant is wicked, says to himself, my master hasn't come back in a long time. So he begins to beat his fellow servants, to eat and drink with all the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he is not aware of. And listen to what precious, sweet Jesus, who cuddles the lambs and, and, and puts the children on his knee, does. He will cut them to pieces and assign him to the place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. One of the biggest lies that the enemy speaks to those living in our backyards here is they're good. They got time. They know Jesus. I'm telling you, there's a big difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing about God and being able to quote the Bible and actually having a relationship with him, actually knowing him. Big difference between the two. Big difference. Many's going to say, Lord, Lord, I did this, I did that, and whatever. And he's like, I don't know you. I don't know you. There was no relationship. That's what it's all about. Relationship. We don't know when Jesus is going to call us home or when he's going to return to end all this creation. But according to Mark, James, and John. Oh, I'm reading the wrong part yet. Sorry. <laughs> But we ought to live always with eternity in mind. Because we all know that we're going to stand before Judge Jesus. Judge Jesus and give an account for our lives. We all know we're going to. Be rewarded for the good you did, right? But first of all, being, having decided at the great white throne, did he know you? Did you know him? Is your name in the book? It's all that matters, heaven or hell. Then Jesus explained to his disciples that his own death was coming soon. Jesus said, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to go into Jerusalem, and they're going to do this, and they're going to do that. And he goes off into detail. And according to Mark, James, and John, they requested 
to sit at the right hand and left hand of Jesus when he was glorified. In Matthew, it records that their mother actually made this request on their behalf, that James and John were going to sit on the left and the right side of Jesus. The other ten disciples were enraged whenever they asked such a thing. Jesus called them together and he explained it this way. He called them together and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers lord over them. Have you ever feel lorded over? If you don't feel lorded over, just, just look at how much money you make and what's left over after income taxes and sales taxes and property taxes and taxes and taxes and taxes. Then let me know if you feel lorded over and stolen from or if you can just smile about that. Anyways, they exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead with you, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are called to serve. We are saved to serve. It's all about service. And the way that you serve the kingdom of God is by serving the needs of others. That's what Jesus did, and it's what he's calling us to do. The kingdom of God is right side up, and our world is upside down when it comes to this issue. Think about it. When it comes to the topic of authority and leadership, God grants us authority to serve. The world grants authority so that they might be served. God grants authority to destroy the work of the devil and to build the kingdom of God. It's not about us at all. The world grants authority to use those under their authority to build their own kingdom. It's all about them and how they can use people. We are saved to serve. We are freely given the kingdom of God so that my, we might have every resource to serve the needs of others. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 12, verse 32 to 48. Do not be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid. No matter how dark things get in the world, don't be afraid. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed and ready for service. Keep your lamps burning. Take a look at the bridegrooms at the oil in Revelation. Keep, keep your lamps burning. I love that. I think I'm going to talk about it here in a minute. If I don't, I will. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when the time comes and he knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It'll be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Jesus said this phrase so many times in so many parables. <laughs> be ready, be serving when he comes. Truly, I tell you, this is so cool. He would dress himself to serve 
He will have them recline at the table. He will come and wait on them. It'll be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. Even if he comes in the middle of the night or even toward daybreak. This is a simple verse that I think gets overlooked so often. Think about that. This is not a verse of the world culture. This is a verse that only happens in the kingdom culture. A rich man comes home from partying at a wedding all night long to his servants. He comes home to his servants. He doesn't start giving them requests or barking out commands or, or demands to serve him. You know what he does? He's so happy, so full of joy, he changes clothes. He puts on servants' clothes. And he tells the servants, hey, kick back, take the night off, I got this. And he starts serving their needs. That's your kingdom. That's what your king does. King Jesus, king of kings and lord of lords. He serves you. Think about that. Think about the, okay, put yourself in that situation. Think about that. Think about the culture and the atmosphere that exists in that household after that night. Those servants are going to serve, not begrudgingly, but with joy. They're going to be eager and passionate to go above and beyond to serve their master in any way they can. They're going to try to outserve each other. That is going to be a household of joy and peace, a household of abundance. Do you know what the father does when he sees that kind of atmosphere in a household? He wants to pour out more into it. They're being good stewards of God's grace. They are serving. Oh, if we would just learn to serve the needs of others, not looking just to our own selfish ambitions, but just to serve somebody for the simple sake of serving them. I know I asked this in a previous message. When is the last time that you inconvenienced yourself for the benefit of someone else? When's the last time you really... Really inconvenience yourself just to serve somebody else's needs. You benefit nothing from it. They can never repay. You just do it because that's what your master did for you. You will never forget that day when he left behind everything just to serve you. He earned nothing out of it. We gained everything. That's the attitude that we ought to have in our relationships with others, according to Philippians 2. But imagine that. Think about that, that household. Like, duh! You want to change your family dynamics? Start serving one another. Start serving one another. Wow. When you go to the fridge, don't grab anything for yourself. Just grab something for everyone else. You know? Whew. Wow. Is it sinking in yet? Sorry, I just feel like I need to linger there for a moment. But think about that. That's so cool. Because now I'm going to continue on in this verse. But that simple verse, that the master puts on servants' clothing and serves his servants, that, changed, that, that would change everything in the dynamic of that home. Their servants would love serving that master. They would boast to other people about how good he is. They would go above and beyond to serve the needs. He would never have to ask for anything again. 
The servants would meet his needs before he even asked for them. Think about that. They wouldn't be beggars anymore. There are so many beggars in the kingdom of God begging and pleading that God would do something. That's, we're children of God. My children don't have to beg me to provide for their needs. They just they don't even have to ask. It just happens. Magically, that fridge gets filled. That pantry, every... Just food just magically shows up, you know? You don't have to ask. It's just there. And how good is our Father in heaven? Okay. And, and Jesus starts this verse by saying, be afraid. There's no fear in that household. There's no fear in that place, right? I mean, just, just take that and go home with it and try living that out. Serve the needs of others in all of your relationships, even your enemies. Whew, wow. Talk about light shining in darkness. It's going to either tick people off or they're going to get saved. I mean, I, don't, I can't think of any other outcome, you know. Do good to others. So cool. All right. Jesus said in verse 39 again, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house get broken into. So you also must be ready. Be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not yet expect him. And then Peter, big mouth Peter, he asks, Lord, is this just for us or is this for everyone? <sighs> Do you see the selfish motives that are still there? Jesus probably facepalmed right there. Like, you're not getting it. If you want to be greatest, you need to be the slave of all, serving everybody. Is this just for us or is it for everyone? I just, uh, the Lord answered, who is it? Who's the faithful and wise manager? Who's the one who the master puts in charge of the servants and give food at their proper time? Does that sound familiar? It's in most of the gospel accounts. Very truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all things. But suppose a servant says to himself, my master's taking a long time in coming. And he begins to mistreat the other servants, both men and women. He begins to get drunk. The servant will come home on a day he doesn't expect him, an hour when he's not aware of. He'll come pieces sign with the place of the unbelievers. Okay? So... Two different gospel accounts of the same thing that was happening. Then he goes on, Jesus says in verse 47, the servant who knows the master's will and doesn't get ready and doesn't do what the master wants him to do, he's going to be beaten with many blows. But the one who doesn't know the things that they're supposed to do they still deserve punishment, but they will be beaten with very few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. From the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now, I want very desperately to sugarcoat this and to make it sound nice, but Jesus didn't. Jesus did not. Revelation comes with responsibility. Whew. There's no ignorance of the law. If you break it, you're guilty of it, even if you didn't know that that was the law. But for those who knew that it was the law, Jesus expects a little more. And I'm telling you, we hit the lottery when we were born in the good old U.S. of A., right? We have so many resources available to us. 
especially when it comes to the terms of spiritual resources. We got Bibles laying around everywhere. But there are nations in this very world, in this very moment, that if they catch you with a page of the Bible, it's sentenced by death. We are, we are just rich, spoiled kids. God's going to expect a lot of us, so we ought to rise up to the occasion. He's a good father. The only reason he expects a lot of us is because we are capable of it. We can do it. In fact, James repeats us in James chapter 4, verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. See, when we think of sin, we think God said, don't do this, and we did it. That, that's, that's what the enemy wants us to always think of. Always think about the don't, 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 don't. And the kingdom of God is just no fun. A bunch of fun suckers, you know. That's what the enemy wants us all to believe, and that's the mindset he wants us to have. But God's kingdom mindset is all about do. What did Jesus say? If you love God and you love others, you fulfill it all. It's not about a bunch of don'ts. It's about a do. It's about a bunch of do-do, okay? It's the kingdom of God's all about. Do. If you just do this, you're good. So if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, it's sin. It's sin. And the punishment of sin is death. How many relationships have died just because you didn't do what you know you're supposed to do? Because you didn't feel like doing it, right? Jesus has to command us to do things we don't want to do. I mean, that's why we have to obey it. That's why we use those terms. You're not going to naturally want to do these things in your flesh. You're not going to want to serve the needs of your spouse, especially when you're in the middle of a fight, you know? And they just ticked you off, and what they did was wrong. The last thing you're going to want to do is serve them, you know? You're not going to want to even pack their lunch tomorrow for work, let alone throw an extra Twinkie in there or something, you know? But write a little love note. But try it. Try it and see what happens. Try to love people when they don't deserve it. Isn't that what Jesus did for us while we were yet sinners? God demonstrated his great love through the cross. So let's not be lazy servants who use relationships for our own benefit just so life's easier for us. Let's be good servants who use our relationships to serve others willingly and joyfully. Let's serve even our enemies knowing that at any moment we may stand before Jesus and answer, not for the way they treated us, not for the, what they said about us. The only thing we are going to answer to Jesus for is how we chose to respond. Our own service is what we answer to Master Jesus for. We are his servants. How did we serve? Were we good and faithful servants, Right? Matthew 25, 21, that's what we're ending on. Well done, good and faithful servant. Been faithful with a few things. He'll put you in charge of many things. And then you get to share in his happiness. That's upside down from what the world tells you. You need to be happy, right? Jesus said you're happy when you empty your life. In fact, he said that's when you gain true life, is when you empty it and lay it down. When you crucify that old self and you come alive in him. It's so upside down from the way the world lives, but it is right side up. And so as we 
exit these doors and we go back out there into the world, back into our families, back out to those busted up relationships, back to the people who hurt you so bad and how could they do that and how could they say that? And I'm not saying that anything they did or said was right. It was wrong. But every scripture that I found, there's never, ever, ever a requirement of them to do me good before I serve them, before I love them. That's hard. This is a hard teaching. But try it and see what happens. Try it. Give it a try. Look for a way. Be intentional about this, purposeful about this. Look for a way to serve them. In your fit of rage, okay? Put the peanut butter on the toast like that, but do it. Do it anyways. Do it begrudgingly. Do it spitefully, but do it. Serve them. Pour out blessing on them and see what happens. Amen?